Spirit, your grace, we ask you for it each day. Give us more of your grace until your work is done. Lord, and speak to us through your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. You may be seated. Hey, little mother and son duo here this morning. Yeah. Oh, okay, good. All the kids are leaving. Uh, the sermon is going to have some adult content, so be aware of that. And I'm not kidding. That's actually like a le- legitimate uh, deal this morning. So I piqued your interest. Um, welcome to Sierra Bible Church. Hey, if I have not had the opportunity to meet you yet, uh, my name is Jesse. And for the most part, I have the great privilege of being able to teach on Sunday mornings. Uh, but I'm part of a wonderful pastoral team and elder crew uh, that uh, really helped the ministry go forward. So a um, couple things, if I haven't met you yet, uh, or if you're new, which is kind of the theme of what's happening um, with our church, a lot of new people, uh, and we're thankful you're here. In fact, I found out last week, I don't, I'm not sure if they're here this morning or not, um, there was a couple last week, they came up to me and said, uh, gosh, I can't remember, were they somewhere in the, the uh, East Coast side of things? Are you here? Are they here this morning? No? South Carolina. Um, so they came up to me and said, we've been watching you online for a year. And now we're here and we're excited to get plugged in. And, and so that's pretty cool. Um, so if you are new, we have an app. We have a web page. We have all of our stuff on social media. There is a ton of things happening in our very alive, very vibrant uh, church. And so if you... Um, uh, if you want to know about what's going on, you have got to find more than just Sunday mornings. You got to get the app. You got to get it online. You got to be on the social media things and all of that. The Google Face, Twitter book, or whatever it's called. So check all those things out and um, and and uh, be aware of them. Uh, a couple things that are occurring. Uh, we have a Titus Women's Mentoring Group. If you want to learn how to mentor women, uh, or if you want to uh, be become a mentor, or you want to be mentored, this is the group for you. The date on here is wrong, so it's actually the 20th, not the 13th, so make uh, note of that. And then um, uh, the women's retreat is coming up. As of the first service, there was only three spots available, uh, so if you want to go, you better um, have already signed up. Um, and so, and then lastly, we've got some Bible studies coming up, and uh, Laura's going to come up, and um, uh, oh, there it is. She's going to share about her Bible study, and so this is Laura Osnes. Welcome, Laura. Morning, church. Morning. Um, uh, The reason I wanted to be up here was just to remind you ladies um, that you need to find a group. It doesn't have to be my group, but I want you to be in fellowship, and I want you to be in the Word. Um, So we're going to be going through the Sermon on the Mount. If you look in the center of your bulletin this week, there's all sorts of women's stuff going on, so find something, get involved. Um, The Sermon on the Mount can be a little bit dangerous because um, Jesus' words are so familiar to us. Some of the things like, be the salt of the earth, and you are the light of the world, and if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Um, But the the danger in that is that sometimes you you gloss over it because it's too familiar. Um, So I want you to come dive into the Word um, with a group of ladies who are safe, um, who are just studying the Word along with you of all ages, um, 9.30 to 11 on Tuesday mornings. We have child care. Bring all your babies. Bring all your babies. Thank you. Uh, like Laura said, um, there are other studies too. All the men's groups are starting up. Biblical, biblical memorization group, uh, SWAT, MAGS, men's accountability groups, all kinds of different community groups, youth group, AWANA, all that stuff's happening. 
And um, if you are newer and you're looking to get plugged in, all of those ministries need help and assistance, uh, looking for people to serve. So if that's you, please uh, sign up and help out. We need it. We need you. I want to continue to grow the ministry and help people out. If you don't have a Bible this morning, would you just raise your hand and turn to Colossians chapter 3, and one of the ushers will gladly hand you a Bible. Just keep it up, and they'll make sure you get one. You just passed one right there. You just, yep, don't ignore her. She's right there. <laughs> um, and uh, Colossians chapter 3, that's where we're going to be this morning, Colossians chapter 3, uh, New Testament book, so it's on the right-hand side, a little further in. Um, the best way to memorize it for me is uh, the, the language, go eat popcorn. Are you guys familiar with that? It's one of those like Galatians, go, Ephesians, eat, Philippians, pop, corn, Colossians. Thank you, Sean. Um, so let's back up a little bit and just remember, uh, Paul is in prison and he wrote this letter because Epaphras, who's the pastor of this church has come to visit him and he is letting him know that there has been some things that have occurred, uh, in the church. And these things are, are worthy of Paul writing a letter to the church to be careful of the things that are occurring in the church. And what's happened in the church is that there have been some false ideologies and some heresies, what are called the Colossian heresies, have crept into the church. And so for the first uh, part of the book, where we have been, um, except for last week, the first part of the book basically is Paul doing a, a, a tremendous job giving us good Christology, which is that Jesus is sufficient. You don't need these ideologies. You, you should not let the culture dictate what, the, what you're saying. Don't let these things creep in and change your mind. Don't let the world impact uh, your your ideas of who Jesus is and your ideas of what the church is supposed to be. And so he's he's writing this letter in the first several chapters just saying, listen, Jesus is sufficient. Jesus is all you need. And once he lays out the Christology, he then starts to get into the what's called praxis, which is the practice of that Christology. How we should live because of the reality of what Jesus has done for us. And so now we're going to get tremendously practical. The, the title of the message this morning is to take off the old stuff. Take off the old clothing is the language that's going to be uh, presented before us. I've got three major headings, ideas I want to cover this morning, uh, and they're going to be as follows. Violence, a warning, and grace-filled effort. Violence, a warning, and grace-filled effort. So Paul's going to commend us to have an act of violence. And then he's going to give us a very stern warning. And then we're going to see how we should live this out. Would you stand with me this morning if you're able to? Um, because we, we do stand because we love God's word and we believe it is God speaking to us. And it's just a way to position our hearts and our minds before the Lord that we would be teachable uh, before him. Verse 5 of chapter 3. Here's the violence. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, Impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. And these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave 
or free, but Christ is all and in all. Lord, would you minister to us this morning and help us to become more like you? And we trust you for it. In Jesus' name, the church said, amen. Uh, you can be seated. Um, so one of the benefits of marriage for me, of the many benefits of, that come with marriage, is uh, having someone tell you what you should and should not wear. Um, it, it's, it has been on several occasions throughout our years of marriage where my wife has graciously looked at me and, and basically said, are you wearing that? Which is, another, which is a nice way of saying, you're not wearing that. Uh, and it's also a benefit because I'm colorblind, which I really don't like to put out there because as soon as you tell someone you're colorblind, everyone starts asking you what color is what, right? That's the, the just rash of what color is this, what color is that, what color is this. And I go, it's all going to be red. That's the color it's going to be. Stop asking me questions. Um, and uh, and the, the, that kind of reality of, of what it is to take off the old to this is what he's talking about. It's like clothing. You know, take it off, put on that which is new. You're new in Christ. You've been resurrected with Christ. You have a faith in him. You're hidden in him, and so now you should put these things off. And the language that he uses, and, and, and this is my first point, is the violent act in which he calls us to, is he says, put these things to death. This old clothing in which you used to walk. These, these clothing, this clothing is unrighteousness. It's, it's that which is, he says here in, in the statement, that which is earthly, that which is fleshy, that which is sin. By remembering your resurrection, he's saying you need to take off these fleshy things. You need to put it to death. Romans 6.11 says, So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. Let not sin reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness, for sin will have no dominion over you since you're not under the law, but you're under grace. And then he gives us, you know, this list of the things that we need to kind of put off and we need to put to death. But before we get there, I want to mention a couple quotes from two gentlemen. One is Richard Baxter, an older guy. One is John MacArthur. He's also an older guy too. Um, but Richard Baxter says this about sin and putting it to death. He says, use sin as it will use you. Spare it not, for it will not spare you. Sin is your murderer and the murderer of the world. Use it, therefore, as a murderer should be used. Kill it before it kills you. And though it bring you to the grave as it did your head, it shall not be able to keep you there. MacArthur goes a little further with the idea that we need to be murdering sin, that which is earthly and fleshly in us, so it does not murder us. MacArthur goes on and says it like this. He says, when people sin, it's... it's Sin, it is at its basis what they're doing is they desire what they desire, doing what they desire rather than what God desires. That is, in essence, to worship themselves instead of God, which is idolatry, and all sin is found in secret atheism. Right? To live according to your own life and your own lifestyles, to, to do the things that you want, the things that are earthly in you, fleshly, fleshly in you, that, that's to live as an atheist. So Paul's saying, listen, if you're, if you're resurrected with Christ and you have a new life with Christ and you're hidden in Christ, then as a Christian, we need, to, we need to put certain things behind us. Things that used to be in our past life no longer should be in our past life. And the way that the culture lives, again, Paul is making this argument. Don't let the culture and false religion and all these things creep into the church, but rather murder them and put them off. And Paul has two categories here. 
one category is that of personal sin, and, and the other category is more of society sin, sin that we commit against others. And so we're going to go through these a little bit. The first category that's listed in this has everything to do, almost all of the wording, all of the language, with sexual sin. With committing sexual sin and doing things sexually that ought not to be done. Now, I think it's Lewis who says our desires aren't, aren't that they're too weak. The problem isn't that our desires are too weak, but that they're not strong enough. What he's making the argument for is that really we sin not because the desire for sin is so strong, but because the desire for God is too weak. And what happens in, in regards to these particular sins, first of all, we'll just say when we start talking about sexual intimacy and, and, and all of that, we start to kind of get a little uncomfortable. So you're, we're all going to get a little uncomfortable together this morning, okay? And, and, and the reason is this. I'm a firm advocate that the church needs to redeem the language and the verbiage of human intimacy and sexuality. Because the church has been so scared about talking about it that now we allow the school or we allow the culture or we allow anybody and everybody else, whether it's Instagram or social media, to learn about what intimacy is. I found out about what intimacy was at a sleepover at my neighbor's house when I was, I don't know, seven or eight years old. Right? It just wasn't something my parents talked about. It wasn't something I wanted them to talk about, <laughs> if I'm frank and honest. Right? We kind of avoid the topic. And this morning we're going to get into it uh, a little bit. And again, when I say the view isn't high enough, the biblical view of human sexuality is really, really, really high. It's like way up there. It's not low, it's high. God, God created intimacy. Do you know that? He created it. When he created you as a human being, he literally gave you parts of your body that are strictly created just for pleasure. He didn't have to do that. I mean, think of taste buds for a moment. God did not need to give you taste buds. But because he wants you to enjoy life and enjoy it to the fullest, right? He gave us taste buds so we can enjoy the nuance and flavor of food. I talk about food way too much on Sunday mornings. <clears throat> the Hebrews, when it came to intimacy, the Hebrews literally called it a mingling of souls. Genesis chapter 2, when God creates Adam and Eve, they're unclothed and they're totally unashamed. Right? When you're married, which is what God has intended for intimacy between a man and a woman within the confines and the protection of marriage, there is a safety and an unashamedness that only exists within that context. And so when we talk about human sexuality, when Paul's talking about it, saying you have to put this old stuff off, he's saying these things really do matter because it is a mingling of the souls. Or as Genesis 2 would say, it's two becoming one flesh. In my studying this week, I came across an Amazonian tribe that uses the words, you have contaminated me. A part of you is now a part of me. So we need a higher view of human sexuality, not a lower view of human sexuality. When my wife and I got married, one of the individuals in Allie's family who doesn't uh, know the Lord came to me and said, Jesse, um, you should not get married until you and Allie move in together and sleep with each other to make sure that you're compatible. Like that's something that you should do. And she said the reason is because that way you'll end up having a better view, a higher view of marriage. And because it, basically what they told me was that I didn't have a high view of marriage. And my response was actually no, my view of marriage is so high that I believe that intimacy is meant just for marriage and I'm willing to abstain 
for a period of time so that it is within that protection that God has intended between a man and a woman. So the language that's used here, immorality, that word actually is porneia, where we get our word pornography. 1 Corinthians tells us in verses 6 through 18, flee from sexual immorality. Every sin a person commits is outside of the body, but the sexual immoral person sins against his own body. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. I always like when the Bible tells us what God's will is because people are always asking, what is God's will for my life? What does God desire for my life? What does he want me to do? What should I be doing? Where should I go? And 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3 says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, which is a way to say God cares about you growing in maturation. He doesn't want you to be stagnant. He wants you to be growing closer to him. He wants you to be maturing always. I had one guy tell me, when, when does that stop? It, it doesn't. <laughs> You're always going to be growing. Even to the point in heaven, you'll still be growing in the knowledge of God, in the goodness of God, in the love of God. And then he goes on, it's your sanctification, and then listen to what his will is. This is God's will, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Part of one of God's wills for our lives is that we would abstain from the, the, the sexual sins that exist in our culture. Impurity is to take something that is pure and to pervert it. It's talking about your thought life, your sexual thought life. That's what impurity is in the mind. One is in the body, one is in the mind. The third one is passion, a burning up for things that are not of God, that we're weak-willed and we're ruled by what's inside of us. What passion is is an inability to say no to yourself. Right, I've asked that before. When was the last time you were able to say no to you? Right, it's easy to say yes to the extra drink, yes to the extra click, yes to the extra bite of food, yes to the extra day of vacation. Right? We're always constantly, and we live in a society that says, say yes to yourself, say yes to yourself, say yes to yourself. And Paul's saying, if you've been resurrected with Christ, you actually need to say no to yourself. In fact, he calls it, you're going to actually feel like you're dying. It's going to feel like deadness. Put these things to death that are in you. Say no to yourself every now and then. That's what it means to be pure and holy. Don't always say yes to all of those things. That's passion, he says. We're too ruled by our senses rather than truth. Tim Keller um, has a line out of his book. I'm not going to read all of this to you, but he basically says within this <clears throat> quote, he's a pastor, uh, well, was a pastor in New York City, and he said several years ago he was doing a seven-part series on the seven deadly sins, the sins that God basically ha hates. And his wife said, you know, I bet the week that you deal with greed, which is in this list as well, covetousness and greed, desiring that which, which isn't yours, an insatiable desire to constantly have more, she said, I bet that'll be your lowest attendance. And he says in, in this book, he says, that is absolutely true. He says, people pack out the house when we talk about lust or when we talk about wrath or we talk about pride, but nobody thinks they're greedy. He goes on and says, as a pastor, I've had several people come to me and confess that they struggle with almost every kind of sin. This is true in my position as well. He goes on and says, but I cannot recall anyone ever coming to me and saying, I spend too much money on myself. I think my greedy lust for money is harming my family, my soul, and people around me because greed hides itself from the victim. McKellar goes on later in this book, I think it's Desiring God that this is out of, and he says, you know, the only way to really fight greed is to see that Jesus gave up everything to make you his treasure. And to the extent that you see how much Jesus has given up everything to make you his treasure will be to the extent that you're willing to give up things to make God your treasure. treasure. So you've got to put these things to death. 
And then there's these kind of societal sins that he lists. It's, the language isn't put to death here, but in the text, it's, it's to take off. Anger, which is bitterness. Wrath, outbursts of anger. Malice, which is to do evil to another. Slander, which is to talk trash about people. Obscene talk, which is sexual coarse talk. And lying and falsehood. Right? That list, which I think there's six there, that is social media. It is. This is, you have individuals in our society who I've heard one comedian say are the infallible angels of cancel culture, right? They, they can do no wrong. You've got these individuals who can do no wrong and you post something on, on, on your little social media thing and boom, bow, bow, malice and slander and hate and wrath and anger, yeah? So on Facebook, my opinion, one of the most toxic pages on Facebook is the Tahoe Truckee People page. I dub serious. It is disgusting and vile, filled with all kinds of vitriol, gossip and slant. It is, it is the epitome of everything that makes our, our, our community unhealthy, right? And boy, I'll tell you, I'll look through there and it takes everything in me, as I'm sure it does you as well, to just not say anything, to just not say anything. Because it does make you more angry. It does make you filled with more frustration. There was an individual, really cool, um, uh, someone posted on that page something about um, how come the churches in the area aren't using their parking lot for homeless people or something, and can, can the churches in the area basically, you know, build a tent city for homeless people or something like that? And I was like, oh boy, here we go. Because <laughs> we, are, we are, by God's grace and goodness, we're, we're a target. We're, we're probably the largest gathering in the Tahoe Basin, by God's grace, Right? And so I know, like, people know who we are. They're going to talk about us. I was like, okay, I'm going to watch this for just a little while and see what are people going to say. And an individual in the church got on there and just wrote one of the best, like, like, like it was the best Yelp review is what it was, basically, of our church you could possibly. She talked about the boots we give away and the trunk or treat that we do and all the free events that we have and the way that we donate money. And I was like, yay, this is all very positive. And then I was like, okay, what's the next thing going to be? And again, by God's grace, it was like, okay, thanks for the information, you know. But I was like, I was ready for someone to pop on there. So the instruction is, is that these things, that they would be put away from us. Now, I don't know if... You're like me, and I'm sure that you are, but I've got a past. Anyone else have a past? I have a past. I have things that I've done that I regret. I have shame that has been attached to those things that I've done. And, and, and we're going to address that in a moment, but the reality of what Paul is saying is you've got to take that stuff off. You've got to do away with it. And as a Christian, you have got to be willing to do the work to put those things away. And to get rid of them. They shouldn't be even, as Paul would say to the Corinthian church, there's things that aren't even named amongst the Gentiles. Those things should never be named amongst the church. And this leads me into point number two. These things are such a radical thing that, that God actually says there's a great warning attached to these kind of sins, whether they're in your mind or whether they're against society. And so what's the warning? I think you saw it. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. And nobody likes to talk about the wrath of God, right? But we're not a seeker-sensitive church. And, and uh, if I'm honest, like our room is packed every Sunday, and so every now and then you gotta preach a message that makes people go away. So make room for, make room for other people. 
And then I do that, and you guys keep coming back. It's pretty amazing. He says, these things, the wrath of God. I want you to see something. I can't take credit for this. Uh, Joe Casey sent me a message by John MacArthur out of Romans chapter 1, and I do need to share, I think, some of it here. And so if you would turn to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1 um, <clears throat> is <laughs> a rough chapter. I mean, it's, it's a tough one. But it, it's gonna, I'm going to connect it the way MacArthur does to our culture and... Um, I think it'd be helpful for you to see it. And I know that some of the things that I'm going to share with you, some of you may disagree with. But remember, this is Romans chapter 1. This is the Word of God. And I've said it on many occasions, and I'll say it again. If, if there's something in the Bible you disagree with, it's because you are wrong. Right? So you just have to let this rest on you and let the Word of God do what it's doing. Because remember, God is instructing us for our benefit and for our joy. And so he goes on, Romans chapter 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed. He's going to tell us what the wrath of God is. From heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. There's, there's suppressing of truth that occurs. Jump to verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise. This is the news right here, right? They became fools. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up to the lust of their hearts to impurity. Take note of that in verse 24. To dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Now, jump to verse 26. For this reason, God gave them up to the dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, take note of this, God gave them to a debased mind. To, what ought, to do what ought not to be done, they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossip, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil disobedient to parents, just throw that one in, foolish, faithfulness, heartless, ruthless. Like the list is like, oh boy, this is fun, dude. Preach this at Christmas time, please. But it's there. It's right there. And I want you to see, this is exactly, this is the way MacArthur attached it to um, our, our culture and what we're going through. He says, first of all, take note of the wrath of God. Remember what the wrath of God is. Many of us think, that, that it's this hateful, you know, burning kind of stuff. And that's going to come one day. Jesus is going to come back, and he's going to judge the earth. We talked about that last week. He's going to be riding a white horse. A sword's going to be coming out of his mouth. And we're going to be the armies of God that come down with God to wipe out all that is wicked and evil. And there's always that question, if God is wrathful, how can he be loving? That's a hard thing for me to deal with. And the, the answer is no different than the kind of anger you would feel if your child was raped by another individual. God would be angry at those things just as you and I would be angry at those things. It's a response of love. And I love my daughter. And if someone ever did anything like that to her, the natural loving response is anger and wrath. And so all sin is committed against God, and he's not okay with it, and he's, he's waiting very patiently for, for that return, but that wrath is going to have to come. Payment is going to need to be paid. And so the wrath we have now, though, isn't God coming with a sword. It's what we call passive wrath. 
take note of what occurred in here. First, there was a sexual revolution within the text. This is the 1960s. Right? They, they, he, says, he says they just gave themselves up to the lust of their impurity. You know what came on the heels of a sexual revolution? A homosexual revolution. He just said it right here in the text. First comes the sexual revolution. Do anything you want with your body. It doesn't matter. It's not attached to your soul, which is the opposite of what the Hebrews believed, which is an intermingling of souls. Exchange that. Now, now we have the sexual revolution to a homosexual revolution. And then, then what happens after that revolution? Verse 28, God gave them up to a debased mind. Nothing makes sense anymore. The mind isn't working in the culture. People don't know what to think. They don't know what to believe. They don't know what the truth is. Someone brought up to me at the end of, of Romans 1, which I don't have in front of me in my notes, but you may if you have that text in front of you. At the end of Romans chapter 1, it says that the culture then would go on, the sinful culture then would go on, maybe not committing those acts, but applauding those who do. When someone makes a decision to put their identity in a new kind of sex or a new kind of gender, and we're going to put them on the front of a magazine, and we're going to say, look at how courageous they are. It is same thing. This was just in between services. Found out about a man who has trans to a woman and is in MMA and is beating up women. Can we just say debased mind? Wrath of God? You know what that is, don't you? I, I'm sorry. We just have to, we, we've got a Romans 1 it every now and then. That's a man dressing as a woman beating up women. That's debased, evil stuff, right? And, and we're just at that place as a culture. We're at that place as a church. You have to know, and, and I've been guilty of this, man. Like, I want people to come to our church. I want non-believers to be here. I want people who don't know Jesus to come in and find out who Jesus is because of the love of Jesus. But at the same time, the Bible does talk about these things, and then they have to be addressed with the lens of the gospel. And what Jesus is saying and what Paul is saying is these things destroy a society. These things decay a society. You know how the Roman Empire fell? Same way that America's falling, from within. Anything goes. Do whatever you want. Feel what you want. Play with what you want. Look at what you want. Say yes to yourself at every corner and every turn. Let the culture dictate you. You know what that stuff is, man? It's, making, it's, it's slavery. It's 100% slavery. We have the ability in Christ to be completely free and to say no to sin, and yet we allow the culture and we allow the devil to put a collar around our neck and yank us around like a dog. Think this way. Feel this way. Applaud that. Clap for that. Do that. And we're just like, okay, okay, okay. And Jesus is saying, take off the collar. Be free. I mean, this is Ephesians chapter 2. He says, you once walked following the course of this world. You once walked this way. But no longer. He goes on and says, you followed the course of the world, the prince and the power of the air. That's, that's demons. That's the demonic. We all once lived, verse 3, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath. Once we were children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But, but, this is the good news. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us and made us alive. So here's, here's the bad news is the wrath of God is the passiveness of God. He just lets culture say, fine, you don't want me? 
do whatever you want. Do whatever you want. Now, that, that's bad news, and that's why we must proclaim the gospel, that Jesus can free you. This is, we don't want people to have that kind of, we want God to be active in people's lives, loving in people's lives. Right? When, when you receive God, you're no longer under wrath, you're under mercy. That's the good news. And God is incredibly slow to becoming angry and wrathful. But as a Christian, when bad things happen to you, it's not the wrath of God, it's the mercy of God. You sit under the mercy of God, the goodness of God. Right? Like I said, well, I have a past. Some of you have had a gnarlier past. Some of you have had sins committed against you that were wrong. Some of you have committed sins that were wrong. And I remember um, in college, there was a gal in our church, and she said, hey, Jesse, you sleeping with that girl? I was like, yeah. You know, because my friends and everyone, it was like, not a big deal. Like, I didn't see what the issue was. You know, sex outside of marriage, who cares? Not a big deal. And, and it didn't seem like it was a big deal to me. And she just said, go home. You need to go home and, and uh, just look up the word fornication. Look up the word fornication in the Bible. So I was like, okay. So I looked up the word fornication in the Bible, and it was like game over. Right? God spoke to me. His mercy came to me because that's what mercy is. It's the opportunity to step back into grace. And, and when you're a child of God, God just won't leave you alone. Some of you are going to be here in the room this morning, and you're going to feel God tugging at your heart. You're going to feel God convicting you of certain things. And it's not because he's wrathful. It's because he's merciful, and he loves you, and he wants to be in a right relationship with you. He wants to make sure that you're on good terms. And that's all because of good grace. Right? I mean, the Holy Spirit has been in my life in ways that I just, I, I, I oftentimes wish he wouldn't. Right? I mean, once, once I read that word fornication, God just kept being in my face in that relationship, and it deteriorated and ruined that relationship. It's like God just kept saying, here I am, here I am, here I am. And at certain points, I'm like, God, dude, chill, bro. Like, you're all in my space. And God would be like, yeah, because I love you. And I desire you, and I want you to be pure, and I want you to be happy. Because the result of these kind of sins, the result of these kind of sins leads you into slavery, and it punishes you, and it adds to guilt, and it adds to shame. One gal after the service told me, told me earlier, she said, yeah, you know, like, your message brought up some stuff from my past, and it, it brought up that shame and, and that I had with those, those things in the past. No, Jesus wants to deal with your shame. Jesus not only took your sin on his back, he took your shame and your guilt. All of that stuff's been dealt with. If you're a Christian, that's the good news. The wrath of God fell on Jesus. That's sin's response, by the way. Sin's response is either hell or the slaughter of Jesus. Either you pay for your own sins, the ones you've committed, the ones that have been committed against you, or Jesus pays for those sins. And my friends, if you believe in Jesus and you believe in what he has done for you, your sins, your guilt, your shame, your ugliness, your hate, all of the things you've ever committed, all the things that somebody has done to you, Jesus wants to deal with them so you can be free. Do you want freedom? Real freedom? God-given freedom? Soul freedom? Freedom from shame? Freedom from, from feeling low? Jesus didn't just save you from hell, friends. He saved you to something, to have a relationship with you. I'm going to put a quote up from the great Spurgeon. I'm going to reword it because it's got that old language in it. And, uh, and if you like that, great. I, I most of us don't talk this way. So but let me read you what he says about this. Christian, what have you to do with sin? Hasn't it cost you enough already? Burned child, will you still play with the fire? What? 
When you have already been between the jaws of the lion, will you step a second time into his den? Have you not had enough of the old serpent? Did you not poison all of your veins once? And will he play upon the hole of the asp and put the hand upon the cockroach's den? I don't even know if I said that correctly. Apparently that's a snake. It's not a cockroach. Oh, be not so mad, so foolish. Did sin ever yield thee real pleasure? Did you find solid satisfaction in it? If so, go back to your old drudgery and wear the chain again if you delight in it. But as much as sin did never give you what it promised to bestow, but deluded you with lies, be not a second time snared by the fowler. Be free and let the remembrance of thy ancient bondage forbid you from ever entering the net again. I mean, does sin really? Man, I, I've, I've had conversations with people in my office afraid to give up certain sins, certain addictions. And, and, and it's so hard to look at them and realize, like, and to ask the question, is that sin making you happy? No. Is it delivering on all that it's promised? No. I've had people tell me that they're afraid to become Christians because they are afraid that Jesus is going to change their life. At least they have it correct. He's going to tell you to give up certain things and he's going to tell you to elevate other things. Our society needs the salt and light of the earth and you're it. And not only that, you need to know this freedom that you have in Jesus Christ. Right? I mean... <laughs> If we're honest, society says so many different things to us. And we allow it. If we're really honest, we allow society to continually dictate the way in which we're going to live, the way that we spend our money. Now, let's just take that for instance. Oh, boy, he's going to talk about money. He talked about sex, the wrath of God, and now money. He's hitting on all of them. Here we go. I have to be unapologetic about some of this stuff. The kingdom of God needs your treasure, your finances. And it needs your time, and it needs your talent. It doesn't need it in the sense that God is somehow lacking without it, but it needs it in the sense that you need it. Right? If our passions are going to increase, if we're going to really say no to sin, we've got to be doing things that are going to increase our affection for God. You know what increases your affection for God? Being sacrificial. Someone had asked me one time about why do we have men who are constantly preaching from the front and I said, one of the main reasons we have men constantly preaching from the front is because most of society's ills are from weak men who refuse to live sacrificially and lay down their lives and die for their families and their society. I mean, if you really look at most of all the things that society is wrestling with, yes, it's sin, but it's also weak men unwilling to die for their wife. And so we want men to be able to stand up front and say, guess what? We're willing to die for this. My friends, I'm willing to die for this. This is the kind of message you get crucified for. It really is. It is the kind of message that someone says, well, this is not a seeker-sensitive church. They're not very loving. No, I am loving. That's why I'm sharing it, because I don't want you to be a slave to society and to culture. I want you to be free in the gospel. And I'm willing to say the things that a lot of other people aren't willing to say, knowing someone's going to disagree with it and someone's not going to like it, but I cannot live under the fear of man. I must live and be compulsed by the fear of God. And that has to be placed inside of you as people. You've been made in the image of God. You are not to be swayed by the culture. You are to live in the strength of the gospel and to stand for the purity of Jesus Christ. 
The church needs men who are willing to love their wives no matter what. The church needs men who are willing to say no to sexual temptation and yes to the purity of God. We need men who are willing to serve the church and not just abdicate it to all the ladies in the church. Right? And if you're a guy and you feel like, oh my goodness, good, do something about it. Am I right? And all the ladies are like, mm, oh yeah, you do, you do, you, you get them, you get them. This church has no issues with women serving or being up front. We want to empower our women. We want to love our women, but we desperately need men with backbones, strong hearts that are just like Paul. Paul's in prison for his faith, and he's writing books for everyone to read on exactly what put him in there in the first place. He's just still adding to his condemnation and his guilt within public society. You've got to read this stuff. You've got to read this stuff because there's a great warning. And can I just say, if you are a guy and you are serving and you are leading, thank you for being so countercultural. Thank you for doing what society is telling you not to do. Thank you for not buying in to the kind of liberal thinking that just totally obliterates the family unit and core. Thank you. And if you're a single dude, I bet I hope you hear what I'm saying. Some of you just need to get a backbone to ask a girl out. There's truth to that. Stupid internet. Last point. Grace-filled effort. Right? So, so yeah, there's, there's a violence that we need to, to act upon our sin. We need to kill it. That is an action point. There's a warning that comes with it. But because of that warning, but more importantly, because of the resurrected Jesus that we serve, we need to give effort into the things of God. So my last point is a call to action. It's a point to say it's time for us to stand up and to serve and to love and to give and to do what is necessary to propagate the kingdom of God. I mean, there, there is something beautiful happening in here week in and week out, almost every single day of the week. I can't tell you how packed this building is all the time. People are constantly contacting us. Can we use your building for this? Can we do here for this? There are Bible studies going in and out through here. We have an office that is teeming with just wonderful team members. There's just so much vigor here. And because of that vigor and that grace, because we've been made alive, we now need to act upon it, the, the call to action. D.A. Carson would say it this way, none of us just stumble into obedience. None of us just fall into obedience. It takes some effort. He, he goes on and says, people don't drift toward holiness. Apart from grace-driven effort, people do not gravitate toward godliness, prayer and obedience to scripture, faith and delight in the Lord. Rather, we drift towards compromise and call it tolerance. We drift toward disobedience and call it freedom. We drift toward superstition, call it faith. We cherish the indiscipline of lost self-control and call it relaxation. We slouch toward prayerlessness and delude ourselves into thinking we have escaped legalism. We slide toward godlessness and convince ourselves we've been liberated. He said, you don't slide into this stuff. 
So Jesus has come into your faith. He's come into your face. He's convict, convicted you of sin. He's called you to repentance. He loves you without reserve, even in the midst of your sin and shame. Even in the sin and shame you committed yesterday, he's dealt with those things. He loves you in spite of you, and that never goes away. No one can ever snatch you out of God's hand. That is the perseverance of the saints. You are guaranteed this lifelong, eternity-long relationship with Jesus because it's founded on Jesus. He earned it. You didn't, so you can't lose that which you never earned. It's all a free gift. So because we've remembered our newness, as it says in verse 7, we must walk with him, present our minds to him. That was the message last week. Fill our mind with the goodness of God. Let God speak to us through the word of God. And then lastly, present our bodies to the Lord as a living sacrifice, Romans 12.1. Right? That, that's the call to action. That's grace-filled effort. Remember your newness. That's all of the first part of Colossians. You're new, you're new, you're new. Stop living as if you're a sinner because God doesn't see you that way anymore. Yeah, but do you know what I did yesterday? Don't care. I mean, I care, but I don't care. Like, I, I want you to know I care and I know it hurts and it stinks, but at the same time, have you remembered you're resurrected? You're, you're, you're new. Yeah, but did you know that? I, I know. Yeah, but, I, but I, I've got this thing and it's, I, I feel it right here. Is, no. You've got to remember your newness. You've got to walk with Jesus. You've got to present your mind to him, and then you've got to allow God to fill your mind with his goodness and his word. You've got to let God speak because the culture is talking to you all week long about what a piece of trash you are. Oh, you're a conservative? Yes. A biblical one. Oh, you're one of those people. Yeah, I'm one of those people. My wife and I have been saying a lot lately, we're those people. We've never felt so out of order in the world. Those people. Like, hey, I, I love my life. I love my church. I love my friends. I love my children 90% of the time. There's 10% where I'm wondering if they're mine or not. That's actually the 10% I know they're mine. This is where it's at, folks. This is where it's at. The gospel is life. The bride of Christ is life. This is where it's at. This is the party, y'all. This is where we need to be. And that's why when we say, you know, give your money and, and, and abstain from sexual immorality and serve and come to one service and serve at another service. And you're like, oh my gosh, he sure is asking for a lot. No, 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 no. I just want the church to be exactly what it always has been, the hope of the world. And I don't want to be spending all my days outside in the world, letting the world dictate what I think, tell me what to believe, tell me how to speak. I just don't want to keep hearing that same nonsense. Somebody says, turn off the news and serve at Awana. <clears throat> seriously well I'm so busy no you're not seriously do you know the American culture has more leisure time than any other culture in the history of the world oh I'm so busy that's like the American thing to say now I'm going off I that is the American thing to say isn't it how you doing oh, I'm busy better not be too busy for the Lord you know, 
all of our office doors in the office are always open. And I've been asked, how come you keep those doors open all the time? Because I was told when I was being trained as a young man, if you're too busy for people, you're too busy for ministry. It's not all about the vision. It's not all about the programs. It's about people receiving the forgiveness of Jesus Christ and walking in his newness. It's worth it. You and I have been called and blessed to be Christians in one of the most amazing times of church history. This is a pivotal moment. This is like first century church kind of stuff. And we're sharing in it with the apostles and the other disciples. This is it, man. Present your body to the Lord as a living sacrifice. Fight for that which is good. Last steps, and we'll pray here. These next steps of just questioning, you know, what, what can I do this week? What should I do this week? What should I be pondering on this week? Number one, put to death what is earthly in you. I want you to ask the question, why do you think it's significant? And what thing is Christ calling you specifically to put off? What are the things in your life that you know, and I'm sure you felt them at some point in the service, that God's saying, you know, it's time to, let's get rid of that stuff. Let's cut that thing out. Let's stop that streaming. Let's, let's just get rid of some of these things. The second one is just asking the question, which I, I've definitely felt at times. Have you ever grown weary in the fight against sin? What becomes tiresome about it and difficult? Just want you to meditate on that. But then think about the cross and think about how that should give you hope in regards to that fight. And then number three, how might the true worship of God drown out the temptations to sin? And what does that look like for you in the week? Because oftentimes we, we gravitate towards sin because, because we haven't been gravitating towards Jesus during the week. And that's why I'm a huge advocate of listen to good solid podcasts, listen to audiobooks, you know, on your drive and just find different ways, whether you, however you like to absorb content, and there's so many ways to absorb content, just devour yourself and saturate yourself with the things of God. And if you're like, well, I don't even know where to go for that, just call the office. We have more resources than you can ever think or imagine. Go into the bookstore, look at the authors. Some of them have podcasts. That's a good way. Desiringgod.org is a tremendous website. I mentioned that last week. You can put any question in there. Just do whatever you can to set that mind back in place, whatever it takes for you, okay? Amen? Would you stand with me as we pray? <clears throat> Lord, thank you for um, that reality that we are new in you, that you have raised us from the sinful grave into a life of righteousness. And I pray we would realize that we do need to make an effort in our faith, but not to get you, but as a response of already receiving you. And that we would make these efforts, Lord, not to free us from shame, but because shame has already been dealt with. And I pray as we leave here that the seeds that have been sown would not be snatched away by the cares of the worry of the world, but they would be implanted within the heart and the mind, that they would grow deep, so deep that they must be acted upon. And then from that depth, new fruit would be birthed in their lives. And we trust you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Ooh, that was awesome. Keep standing with us. We're going to sing um, a song that we sang last week. It's a question and response type of a song, something new for us. 
So again, listen to the words, really take them in, and then sing out what you believe the answer to be. I believe he is worthy. Do you feel the world is broken? Do you feel the shadows deepen? But do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? Do you wish that you could see it all made all creation groaning is a new creation coming is the glory of the Lord to be the light within our midst is it good that we remind ourselves of this in it Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The Lion of Judah, who conquered the grave. He is David's root and the Lamb who died to ransom the slave. Is he worthy? Is he worthy? with us he does 